1: you are listening to the preacher boys podcast a podcast shedding light on decades of mental physical and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental baptist movement the testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors thanks so much for listening to the preacher boys podcast
0: kathy thanks for joining me can you just introduce yourself to our audience and let them know how you got introduced to the ifb movement
2: sure my name is kathy durbin and i was introduced to the ifb by someone knocking on our door so someone from faith baptist church in wildemar knocked on our door and met my mom and my stepdad and we started going and ultimately were sucked into that cult <laughs>
0: right. how old were you when this happened
2: i think i was about 11. okay so we my little backstory my mom had gotten married for the third time and he turned out to be an alcoholic a closet alcoholic friday nights he'd come home drunk so yeah. that was our lives for the first couple of years they were married During that time, we transitioned, we moved from Ontario, California or Pomona area to Wildemar. And so I don't really know what the move was about other than we were building a house there. My stepdad was in construction and we were building a custom home, but we lived in this little rental house while we were doing it. And I don't know if the move was thinking he could get sober because he'd be Mm -hmm. fine during the week. It was a Friday night job site thing. So... I don't know, someone from the church, I think it was actually Mr. Woolley came and knocked on our door. And so we got invited there and I feel like the IFB type churches are broken. People are drawn to them. And so I think that just fit our family.
0: With that, you know, kind of negative experience that kind of drew you in, did the church feel like a positive thing for a while when you first started going?
2: I don't know. I feel like we were normal kids. We did go to Lake Elsinore Christian School, which was not affiliated with any church that we attended, but we did go to that Christian school. For a while, when we moved to Wildemar, my mom was driving us all the way to Pomona for school. We were normal Christians. Like We went to church even before we moved to Wildemar. We went to Pipeline Avenue Baptist Church, but it was not an independent, fundamental Baptist church. It was just like community Baptist church. Church was normal for us, Faith Baptist was not normal. Just all the standards, all the dress code changing, the music, it was all a very slow evolution. So I think initially it was, we were just going to a different church because we had moved. It wasn't anything weird. So I guess it, I don't think it was positive or negative. It was just normal. We go to church on Sunday after this drunken thing on Friday and go to normal school Monday through Friday.
0: And and you'd already had a church experience, so you weren't getting too much culture shock from non-religious to religious. It was just more upping the ante, religiously speaking.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. So upping the ante, like in every way.
0: Obviously, initially there wasn't, aside from those weird kind of quirks and eccentricities of the new church, there wasn't anything excessively noticeably bad right off the bat. But what was the first thing you noticed where you found yourself thinking like, oh, this isn't normal or there's something off here?
2: think I really recognized that as a young, as a kid or a teenager. I think I was around 11 when we started going there. And it was since we slowly got involved, mainly started with the youth group. Those became our friends. You wanted to be like them. So mm-hmm. like giving up pants wasn't a big deal. You're going more and more. You're going to activities. So you want to be like your friends. So none of that was really negative, I don't think I probably noticed anything super negative until I was about 17, but that's a whole nother story Okay, <laughs> that alludes to the Paul Fox story, which
0: I'm sure that's we'll get a different to, story. But,
2: <laughs> right. But, but so yeah. yeah, when I was young, I don't think anything like when I was just a normal teenager there, I don't think anything was that weird because that's mm. how we lived eventually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be most people who start at a very young age, it's not. You don't notice a lot of the bad things until you have a lot of hindsight and you start getting outside of that kind of world. I know that's been for me. There's been a lot of things that I took as, oh, it's fine. And then now almost eight years later, then I'm thinking, oh, that negatively impacted me in this way or this way.
2: But I think I think you notice, like you go to a family birthday party or grandma's birthday and people are like, why are you dressed like that? Or you notice people dressing in jeans and you're like, oh, they're just because they don't know God or they're yeah. sinner or they're just not modest. And you, everything that you've are being told and taught all the time, you're just looking through that lens now. So you right. think you're better than everybody else or you're closer to God, but it's a slow evolution. You don't like, I don't know. It, I know people get sucked in fast. So you either go there and think it's super weird and you never come back or you get sucked in fast and everything changes fast. But I think as a teenager, even a young teenager, you don't, I didn't really know what normal teenager was because I was right on the border of being one. Yeah. I think I didn't, I just missed that whole scenario of being a normal teenager.
0: Well, and normal teenager is somewhat of an oxymoron (laughs) because there's, it is. And and that's where I think it's especially confusing is that you're already changing so much and you're trying to make sense of everything. And then I think it's prime target for the IFB because while you're trying to figure out what the world is, they step in and tell you exactly what you should think about everything. Exactly. And there are some that rebel against that, but it also, it's very easy to just take it for what it's worth. This is all I know at this point this must be true. Would you say that you were, I know you said you, it was easy to adjust to the standards, but did you feel like you were accepted as being a, one of the good kids or like one of the the church kids that was like a good example? Or did you feel like you ever bucked the system a little bit?
2: I think I was considered one of the normal church kids. We, my parents were never on staff, so we weren't like one of the in crowd staff. I feel like there's very cliquish if you're a a staff members, kid, you're you live in a totally different reality than normal church kids. Right. Um, so I think I was pretty normal. I didn't buck the system. I tried to obey and do what they wanted me to do, and I was a pretty good kid.
0: So that's interesting to me because I know the reason that you wanted to have this conversation was to discuss time at a girls' home, and typically those stories start with some act of perceived rebellion. So. I'm trying to figure out the connection between acclimating (laughs) and and good kid in the church to Uh getting shipped off to a girl's home and where that kind of happens. So what led to this massive transition in your life?
2: So my story is a little different than any other girl, maybe not any other, but most of the girls that went in those girls' homes were causing problems, running away, staying out past curfew, having sex with guy, like drugs, drinking. Most of those girls' homes are those type of girls or in those situations. Mine's a little different in that I I went into the girls' home wearing culottes and had my Bible in my hand. So it was really weird. But how I got there was I remember being in first grade when I realized my mom did not like me. And now looking back as an adult, I think she was in her 20s. Late 20s, had divorced for the second time, had two kids. The truck we had got repossessed one day. As an adult looking back, I can see there was a lot of things I didn't know were going on at my age, other than my dad just disappeared, my stepdad, adopted dad. But I was never close to my mom. And so I always felt like there was this piece missing in my life. So we were going to this Christian school, Elsinore Christian school. Faith Baptist did not have a school at that time. So Elsinore Christian school was where we went. And I don't know why, but my teacher decided I needed to see this counselor that would come in once a week. Okay. And I don't know what I was portraying uh, that she sent me there, but this counselor came in once a week to see kids that needed to talk or whatever. And so I went and talked to her twice that I remember the first time she just asked me like, who's your parents? Where'd you grow up? And I was only like 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling her the story of how my mom, how we'd had three dads by this point. And this third dad was an alcoholic and how I really wanted to know who my dad was, like my real dad. I wanted to get to know him and know who he was. And she I don't really, I don't get where she came from because this seems so inappropriate, but on my second visit to her, she gave me a number to an attorney and she said, if you call this attorney, you can probably see your dad because since your mom is divorced from your adopted dad, who is, so our birth father gave up his custodial rights by letting my mom's second husband adopt us, me and my sister. Okay. And since she was no longer married to him, this, counselor felt like he could have his rights back or something. I don't know. Somehow I would get to see him. And so I thought about it for a while. So this was like, I guess this was when I was 13. So this was a couple years in, I asked our youth pastor who was Clint Miller at the time. And I said, Hey, I got this number from this counselor for this attorney. And she thinks maybe I can see my dad, but I'm not sure if I should call or not call. He immediately went to my parents and then they went to the pastor. Hmm. The other thing I did is I wrote a letter to a boy I liked in the youth group and said I wanted to kiss him or I would kiss him. I don't remember what exactly what I wrote, but something along those lines. That's clearly frowned upon in the IFB. But Hmm. again, we went to a very public style Christian school. It was a Christian school, but it didn't have a lot of standards. So I was rat. I was a normal 13 year old at that time. Yeah. Um, but we went to an IFB church. So I just remember one day, one, one day we went, somehow we ended up at the church, just me and my mom. And I was, I don't know if I wait outside. I can't really remember this part of the story. It's been so long. It's been like 30 something years, but the church secretary, Nancy Mitchell came out with my mom and they said, get in Nancy's car. We're going to go somewhere. And I'm like, okay. And I was obedient again. I was wearing culottes. I had my Bible in my hand and all of a sudden we're driving out of the church parking lot, which is on dirt. It was on cat road. And it's, you got to from the church office to the real road. It's pretty long. It's maybe half a mile of dirt road. So we're driving and I hear her doors lock. And I was like, Well, that's weird. I should think I'm going to jump out of the car. I had no idea where we were going. Hmm. We ended up in Ramona, California at Victory Christian Academy. Okay. It's the girl's home that was started by Mike and Patty Palmer. Okay. I knew about this girl's home because as a youth group, we had visited this girl's home and they had visited our church. There was a certain number of girls that he would bring to sing and they would come every once in a while, maybe like once a year or so and sing and we'd take an offering for them. And, and that's how I got introduced to that home.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So what was your arrival at the home like wake? What was the, because the, obviously you're figuring this out as it's unfolding. So what was that kind of intake process like?
2: I don't remember the very first few minutes. I honestly don't remember thinking I was staying there. I just remember we walked in. Actually, they opened the gate. So this particular girl's home was an old FBI compound that the FBI used to do. I don't know what they did there, training or whatever, but it had this right. huge fence all the way around it. I guess it was 12 feet tall, but then it seems like 40. When you're 13, it seems huge. Yeah. And there was a wire around the top of it that they used to tell us was electric. And if we climbed it, we'd get electro- electrocuted, which okay. we all believed. I don't know if it was live or not, but there was definitely wire at the top. There was a big, heavy gate that opened and we drove in and it closed. And when I had been there as a teenager visiting with our youth group, we parked the bus outside that fence and we walked through. So I don't remember really noticing that fence too much. I think Mm -hmm. I I I remember noticing a fence, but maybe not as big (laughs) or as heavy as what I remember being in there. Okay. But I went in. We met the Palmers and they sent me with these two, these two young women to this bathroom. It was big, it had several stalls, shower stalls and bathroom stalls. And they made me strip down and in front of them and get in the shower and shower. And then they gave me different clothes. Now, mind you, I'm wearing culottes. I am not from off the streets. I've taken a shower that day, but they strip you down and make you take a shower and give you clean clothes. They did give me my Bible back. Then I was walked to chapel. I sat in chapel. They were already in the sermon and basically you're assigned a buddy when you first go in. And it's usually a girl that's been there six to nine months to a year. Um, The system is a year. You're supposed to stay there a year from the day you go in to the day you go out. I don't remember saying goodbye to my mom or anything. I just remember I was there and I could not believe I was there. What happened that I was visiting this place and now I'm sitting here, one of these girls? Something has gone totally wrong. (laughs) Someone's made a mistake somewhere. I could not believe it. But you're assigned a buddy. Your buddy is supposed to tell you all the rules and keep you informed of all the rules. And you stay with them for about three months. You stay within three to five feet of them at all times. If they go to the bathroom, you're outside the stall. If you go to the bathroom, you have to ask permission. They're outside the stall. Everything you do is with that buddy. And yeah, that was my introduction to it.
0: Did you ever, were you ever given a solid reason for like why you were sent there? Was it, you think it was just because you had gotten that information and thought about contacting or?
2: After... After I left the girls home, I went back into the youth group and one Wednesday, it must have not been too long after I left the girls home, but I was there for a full year. We were out soul winning with Wednesdays. We would go soul winning with the teenagers and actually pastor Goddard would take us. And then we would go eat somewhere and then go to church. And so we were at Burger King in Temecula. I remember clear as day walking across that parking lot. And I asked Pastor Goddard if I could ask him a question. He said, sure. And I said, why did I have to go to the girl's home? And he said, if I had talked to Steve, who's my stepdad, Hmm. and not just listened to your mom, you wouldn't have had to go. And then he turned around and kept walking. He could have just kicked me in the stomach. It would have felt probably less painful. I could not believe I spent a year going through what I went through because he talked to the wrong person or believed the wrong. It was yeah. mind blown. Like, really? You couldn't have come got me or told them to come get me. I couldn't believe it.
0: No. Yeah. You alluded to what you went through. So what was the day today at the girls home? What did a, a normal day at the home look like?
2: So we'd get up early. I think maybe six, six 30. Okay. Um, We'd have a short amount of time. Everything was timed. Like the schedule was strict. You'd have a short amount of time to get ready, maybe 15 minutes. And then you had to be reading your Bible from a certain time to a certain time. And then we went to breakfast. And any before meals, you everybody lined up by their bunks. And then there was two dorms. There was a smaller dorm that had about 12 to 14, I think, girls in it. And then there was a larger dorm that had probably about 20 to 24 and so they would all line up in their bunks and in rows systematically file out into the dining hall which was like a multi-purpose room we did our school in there we had chapel in there we had food in there Um, and we'd all stand in a huge circle and hold hands and we'd pray sing a song and then go through the line to eat there was no talking allowed you were not allowed to speak You could speak if spoken to by a staff member. There were certain words you couldn't say, yeah. You had to say yes or yes, ma'am. So -hmm. you couldn't use any slang. So of course there was a lot of demerits for that. And a demerit was you had to write a hundred times something. So one demerit for saying yeah is they would say, okay, you have to write a hundred times. I will say yes, ma'am, always, or just anything they made up. I got 500 um, sentences one time because this one staff member thought I rolled my eyes at her. Mm -hmm. So she said, you're going to write 500 times. If I continue to roll my eyes, then they will roll away. And if you didn't turn in your demerits 24 hours after you got them, like to the minute, then they doubled. Okay. Well, you don't have time to write 500 sentences that long in one day. So then they double. Then you have 24 hours to do a thousand. So it just keeps snowballing until you're just drowning in demerits and writing sentences all the time. So we would eat, then we would set up and do school. Then at some point we'd have 30 minutes of exercise. And then we would do chores, which there was always projects going on around there from building fences to building buildings in an effort to save money they had the girls doing a lot of stuff and that's one girl died while I was in there because really? the board fell on her head, but just, so we would do chores in the afternoon. Saturdays were all work days. Sundays were church and sleep only, or you had to be quiet on your bunk. You could sleep or whatever. We'd have dinner in the evening and then we would do chapel and then we would go to bed. So that was what your typical day would look
1: like.
0: Right. Yeah. And I was just, Looking while you're talking about, I was looking at Mike Palmer and the Christian Academy. And it seems like there was a lot of allegations of abuse. um, There was a lot of
2: abuse in there. It wasn't allegations. It was actual abuse. So some of the abuse that I witnessed when I was in there and that I endured. So every sermon, every night in chapel, you just prayed. It was not Mike Palmer preaching because the other men on staff would preach and, but they weren't really, they wouldn't typically call someone out. If they did it, they would do it jokingly yeah. by name because they knew you could take it. But Mike Palmer, oh my God, he was so evil. He would call you all kinds of names from slut and whore. If he knew you had a sex background, just being rebellious. Um, he had this one particular sermon that he would do probably every couple of months. And it was, the sheep and the goats and it's in Matthew in the Bible in Matthew, it talks about the shepherd, how the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he would literally get up on stage and he would separate each girl into a sheep or a goat. So on his right side would be the sheep and on the left would be the goats. And he would call each girl by name and say why he thought they were sheep or goat. And you would have to go sit on either side, depending on what he called you or said you were. And I remember just sitting there and you would just be begging, please be a sheep. Please be a sheep. Call me a sheep. Please be a sheep. Because ultimately those goats would be in trouble. There would be some kind of punishment for them. I remember they would tell you, this is supposed to be a church style school, a Christian girl's home, right? You're supposed to be leading these girls to God, getting them out of their sin that they've been living. But I came in saved. Like I came in thinking I was saved and in the IFB we're taught, you say the sinner's prayer, you believe and you're saved. You can't lose that. I must've got saved 20 or 30 times in that girl's home because they would convince you that if you're still here, that means you're still rebellious, or if you're still getting demerits or you're thinking bad things about the staff in your mind, then you're not saved because saved people Mm -hmm. wouldn't do that. If God was in your heart, that evil wouldn't be in there. And so you, Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you how many times I went to the altar and got saved. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I remember coming out of the girl's home and one night, some sermon somewhere telling my youth pastor that I don't think I'm saved because I did this or I did that. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're still a sinner, but they had you convinced that you were damned to hell.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What year were you there at at the home?
2: I went in 1987 and came out in
0: 88. Okay. And Carrie
2: Dunn died while I was there in 88.
0: Okay. And that was the one with the construction...
2: Yeah. So they had us building a new church, like a big church auditorium. Okay. And I was actually in the get right room, <laughs> the GR okay. room, the day she died. The, the get right room was a small little closet. There was two of them, one in each dorm. The one I was in was like maybe four feet by six feet, nothing in there, but like indoor outdoor carpet on the ground, super cheap, thin carpet. And it had a lock from the outside and a peephole. And that is where you went if you either got too many demerits or if someone thought you needed an attitude adjustment or you just got really crazy, then they would lock you in that room until they thought you had learned your lesson and were back to being right with God. You right. sometimes, they, most of the time, you'd be listening to preaching tapes the whole time you were in there, blasted loud. Right. You could not sleep. You could not lay down. You had to sit the whole time I was in there. That was my third day in there was the day she died.
0: Wow. Do you remember, did you remember hearing anybody talk about it or was it just, it happened and then everyone quickly moved on? Like how was that handled within the school?
2: I was let out and we all were asked to come to the, like where we had chapel, but it wasn't set up for chapel. So we all, it was that big common room. So we all just sat around and brother Wagner got up and you could tell he had been crying and it was really quiet and I didn't know anything had happened. And I don't think all the girls knew something had happened. I'm sure the few that were working in the church knew something had happened. And he just looked up and said, she's dead. And I was like, what the heck? What are we talking about? Later there was talks about what had happened and how she had died and Everybody just went back to their dorms and it was quiet time. We weren't allowed to talk. We, you know, we were never allowed to talk, but you, could, you just had to be on your bed and not doing anything loud. And then we didn't have chapel that night. We did have a big dorm meeting and they basically reset everybody. So anybody that had like demerits or were being punished, like I was in the get right room, everybody had a fresh start. I think it was like their one moment of compassion on all mm. the girls because she had died. It was weird. They, a couple weeks later, within a couple of weeks, um, they had a funeral for her. And she was like, I think she was from Victorville. Okay. I think it was Victorville. It might've been Lancaster, but it's somewhere in the desert up there. And they bussed us up there. And I remember we had to go through Wildomar. And so there was a conversation with me about how I would be watched on the bus as we drove through there, as if I was going to jump off the bus on the highway to try to escape. Now, maybe well, I would have, but
0: given your criminal background, you know, right, that's right. A normal thing to worry <laughs> I was going to
2: hotwire the bus and take right. off. Yeah, yeah. We went to her funeral and it was just, it was really weird because there was all these people and it was just, it was like, I just remember thinking they killed her. They killed this girl and nobody cares that we're still here. So let me back up for a minute. Yeah. You don't see your parents for the first three months.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And on that three-month time frame, that first Sunday, you get a visit from your parents. Just my mom came.
0: right?
2: And I remember, so you had to write a letter home once a week, but they censored them. So okay. you weren't allowed to complain. If you complained too much, they would just hand it back to you and say, start over. Otherwise, they would black out lines that you said. I couldn't wait till my mom got there because I wanted to tell her everything that had been going on. And the things that I'm talking about are like, because I hadn't been in the get right room by that point, but girls that would eat and throw up, they'd make them eat their throw up. If you were, had any kind of food allergy, it was all in your head. You had to eat it anyway. If you were vegan, you had to eat meat. If you were, you could be on halves or wholes. So you could have a whole plate of food or you can have half a plate of food. So if you thought they were giving you too much, you could do halves, but that meant you were permanently on halves, but you had to eat every bite. And I just remember girls throwing up and being force fed their vomit. And I have a really hard time with textures. (laughs) Like I don't like seafood because of texture. And one time they did boiled spinach. I remember just willing myself to swallow, just swallow, just swallow. As it's trying to come back up, I'm going swallow. Oh my God. Swallow, just swallow because I knew I would end up eating it anyway. There was a girl that was really stocky and wide. She was built like a linebacker and they just felt that she was not feminine enough. And so they made her wear heels to do everything. They made her get up and put on makeup every single day There was one woman that was in charge of the dorms. Her name was Virginia. I don't remember her last name, just Miss Virginia. She was like 23 years old, maybe 24. And she was put in charge of all these teenage girls. And so looking back as an adult, I can see that this power went to her head and she was just on this big power trip. And I know just speaking to some other girls that have been there when I was there, she has apologized to some of those girls. So I think that was the issue, but she took it to an extreme. There was a girl that was in trouble all the time. She was tied to a pole. So in this big common room, multi-purpose room, there was poles periodically for probably support for the ceiling. They tied her to a pole. She would stand there days. There was a girl that was, um, duct tape to a chair because she was so out of control. She was in the get right room, but she was ripping up the carpet. So they duct taped her to a chair. She ended up tipping over the chair into an awkward position. And Mike Palmer said, just leave her there. She wants to be on her Mm -hmm. side. She can be on her side. She was there for days. They were really good at not physically getting involved. They would have the other girls, restrain girls, It was crazy. Girls would try to commit suicide by slashing their wrists in the shower with the razors. So we'd lose razors for a while. Hmm. Just, I don't know. A lot of horrible things. So my mom gets there finally. And I'm thinking, this is it. I can finally tell her. And we're walking around outside within that gate, but outside of the buildings. And I'm telling her, mom, you have no idea what's going on here. This is going on and this. And she's, Oh, Kathy. And i'm like no i'm serious this stuff is going on she goes kathy they already warned us and i'm like what so they warned us that you guys would try to tell us lies to get out of here they already Mm -hmm. told us that and i thought holy crap this is there was just no out they covered all of their bases you couldn't write things in a letter you didn't have phone calls They had prepared your parents that you might lie and tell them horrible things were going on when they really were. They covered all the bases.
0: So what was, yeah. So what was the breakdown of the school? Did you feel like everybody was pretty close to you where it was, why are they here? What's, why, or did you feel like it was a weird mix where you felt like, oh, there were some there that obviously nobody needed to be in that environment, but- did you feel like you were like the most random person to be there? do you feel like there were a lot of people there that were no, pretty innocent? I,
2: I felt like I was the most random person there because as a teenager sitting in a youth group and trying to obey and trying to be good and be modest and read my Bible every day and go soul winning and all those things, the worldly teenagers, which were normal teenagers, seemed bad. So, to go into an environment like that where these girls really were doing some things like drinking and drugs and running away and those kind of things, it was, I felt like you could. <laughs> this is probably the best scenario to give you an idea. If you took the most innocent girl that you can think of from the IFB growing up and stuck her into juvenile hall, that's about what it was equivalent to for mm-hmm. me yeah. because they, use them in illustrations and what they've done, the sex, the drugs, everything. It's, you get exposed to it so fast that you know why everybody's there. Yeah. So there was no, it wasn't a mystery. You knew why everyone was there and I knew I was the most innocent one. I will say that.
0: (laughs) Sure. Were there any girls that stayed longer than a year or was everybody in and out?
2: So there was probably two to three girls. One girl had been there the second time. Carrie Dunn actually that died there. She, that was her second time in. Hmm. There was one girl, I think she was on her third time, but it was pretty okay. rare. Most girls did a year and went home. Okay. I so knew you weren't super
0: concerned about staying longer than no. that year?
2: In fact, I knew when I went home, when I left that gate, I knew I was never coming back. Hmm. Whether I was dead it didn't matter. I was not coming back there. And that was actually something that I used to have a hard time with when I left the girl's home. If I was having an attitude or something, my mom periodically would say, do you want to go back to the girl's home? And I would say, Nope. But in my head, I'm thinking, go ahead and try. It's not going to happen. I knew I would do something. And I don't really think I knew what suicide was or I didn't even want to kill myself. I just knew I would not let myself be taken back there.
0: You'd rather do anything than that. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. So once you got out, did you talk to anybody about your experience there? Did you feel like, did you feel like it was even worth trying to talk to your, your mom about what actually happened there or?
2: No, because I learned at that three month visit that they had already set them up for covering up what they were doing. Right. They had already told our parents that they're going to try to tell you all this stuff. So I knew she wouldn't believe me anyway. Also, during the time I was there, they, the school started being investigated. And so twice while I was there, maybe three times, I can distinctly remember twice, instantly we were put on a bus with blacked out windows. It's like a church bus. We were told to just grab our Bible and a jacket, and we left in a line. Um, and we got on a bus, and we were taken to a church. And one time, I think we went to Pomerado Road Baptist Church, I don't remember the other time where we went, but it was because the school was getting rated. That's what they told us. And right when you walk in and it's a line that you, it's a hallway that we, you pass every time you go in the meal line, it's the meal line hallway. So you saw these pictures every day. There was a bulletin board of pictures and it was a Polaroid picture of each girl on the day they came in and the date they came in. So they were in chronological order the, the bottom picture being the girl that came in the last. So you could see where you were as far, as far as the hierarchy of how long you'd been there. But those pictures would be taken down with us and we would leave. And we'd leave for several hours and we'd come back sometime late, early morning or late night. And everything would be ransacked. Like all of our stuff would be everywhere. But interestingly enough, like the office would be intact. Places that the girls didn't live would be intact. Our school would be intact. So it didn't make sense to me, but I didn't really think about it till I was older, that just our our personal stuff would be scattered all over and our drawers dumped out. I do know there were warrants served there because yeah. the state was trying to shut them down because of complaints and because of Carrie's death. And, and ultimately, Mike Palmer decided to closed its doors and moved to Florida, which he did. And so they never actually got shut down. They yeah, opted they were, to not get shut down. They were yeah, forced down. That's basically.
0: why that's why I was asking about the date because I, I was reading in the LA Times. It says in, in 1989 that Charlie was operating a boarding care facility without a license and he argued he was operating a private boarding school. And they mentioned the room like a force fed baby food, listening to religious tapes, cold showers, so they agreed to follow rules but it says that he ended up shutting it down in 1991. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. All these stories are so similar, even to the locations. Like they seem to start California. And then when they get under fire or some larger city, they get under fire and then they end up relocating to somewhere like Florida, Missouri, somewhere that's very lax with their regulations.
2: Right. Um, So when I went home, so I went home in 89, 88, 88. So I was there from 87 to 88. In 89, all of these allegations started coming out and there was media and we, our church supported that home. People would come up to me randomly and say, isn't it awful what those girls are saying about the Palmers and the home? Look what it did for you. Isn't that horrible? And you just wanted to scream at the top of your lungs that it's true. It's true. It's all happening. That is real. But you just had to say, yeah, it's so sad and just walk away. Because Because you're
0: already primed to know that no one's going to believe you.
2: No one's going to believe me. And they might try to send me back there if they think I'm being rebellious or, so you just had to live this fake life. (laughs) I did in my twenties, I don't know, I was in my mid twenties, maybe 25 or so. I did go back and visit the school. It was closed obviously in 91, but I did go back there. I wouldn't use this word. I wouldn't have used this word back then because it wasn't in my vocabulary, but I think I was trying to get closure which now I think that there is no such thing as closure. It's just you deal with the feelings about it and move forward. It's never closed. It's part of your history. It's part of something that happened to you. So I don't think there's closure per se. Um, but I wanted to go back and see it. And the analogy that I kept that coming, kept coming to my head was, I remember I had this friend that lived across from us when I was about 11 and she lived in a two story house and we lived in a single story house and her house was like a mansion. She lived in a mansion. It was huge. But when I, as later as an adult, when I drove down that street, I'm like, what? That's just a little two story track home. Mm -hmm. You know how like things when you're young seem so much bigger and then you go back and you're like, wow, that's really small. I think what I needed to do or what I thought I needed to do was justify how I felt and, and just prove to myself that I remember it the way I remember it was as bad as how it really happened. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that that does make sense.
2: So Um, I took a friend. Oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry.
2: So I took a friend with me and we drove down there one day. And it's a long dirt road. There's a main road going through Ramona. And then there's a long dirt road. You turn on the dirt road and you can see it. You can see the fence and everything as soon as you turn on that dirt road. But I knew it was privately owned at this time. And so we drove near the gate and it was like, okay, the gate seemed a lot smaller (laughs) the fence. So we drove around the outside of it. There was a really tiny dirt road. It's probably not a dirt road. You could drive in a complete circle around this circular compound. And I saw some buildings that were familiar and things, but a lot of it looked the same, but it still didn't do it for me. And I said, I got to go in, I got to go in. So we get out and we go up to the fence and we're standing there because it's this big, huge gate. And these dogs start running up to the gate and barking. And here comes this lady and a couple kids. And I can't remember verbatim what she said to me, but she, you know, basically asked if she could help me. And I said, I said, My name's Kathy and used to live here. And she goes, Oh, you are one of the girls in the girls' home. And I was like, Yeah. She goes, Did you come to get some closure? And I'm like, yeah she goes do you want to come in I'm like yeah thanks she goes yeah there's been a number of girls that have come up through the years interestingly enough there is no permits on any of these buildings that us girls built (laughs) which makes sense So they all looked exactly the same. They had been trying to get permits and things to get things permitted so that they could use these buildings, but they couldn't use them. They could just live in this one house on the property. So she let me walk through the buildings and they looked exactly like Mm. I was there down to the closet that I was locked in. Mm. I stood in the closet. I like, it just gave me chills. It brought back every feeling I had. I stood where I sat when they announced that Carrie had died, like all these crazy moments came back to me. And what it did for me is it justified in my mind that every bad feeling I had about being there was valid. And not sure that's closure because I still don't think you get closure. Yeah, That's probably as close as I'd come to like, that justification is as close as I would come to getting what I think is closure.
0: What? Uh, yeah. I, so I guess my question would be, cause I, I think it's interesting like that you think closure is somewhat of a, you know, non-existent thing, but I'm, I'm uh-huh. curious what you explained, like, I guess accepting or, or understanding what happened, acknowledging what happened, but what has been, would you, obviously I, I think you'd say you've been able to, progress past that point in your life, but I'm curious, like what has been most helpful for you in maybe not getting closure, but with addressing and dealing with kind of the trauma of that period of your life?
2: I think that was it for me. I think that justifying how bad it really was, like proving to myself that it was as bad as I remember. Mm -hmm. I think certain things you don't get closure to. Like I thought the whole Paul Fox thing, I would never get closure to, but here I am at 45, doing all these court things. So I think closure comes in different forms. I'll call it closure because people use that term, but closure to me means you've closed, when you close something, you don't see it anymore. Like it's done. That's a good word for emotions or trauma because it's never going to go away. It might get easier. But for me, I think for the girl's home, at least, validating my feelings helped me a lot during that time period. Now I do think that at my age now, I think it helps to be an activist in certain things to make a purpose out of it. And for me, it'd be to close these things down because they're ridiculous. Like he, Mike Palmer was able to close down in California and open immediately in Florida. And they called it Victory Christian Academy in Florida, J Florida. Hmm. Um, but then they changed the name to lighthouse and then I think they changed it again to something else. And then he tried to open a home in another state, even while that one was open. And he did end up opening one in Mexico that the Mexican authorities shut down. Wow. So it's just, it's interesting to me that there's no government oversight into, I get there's a certain, I understand the separation of church and state, but I feel like this is not church. They right. might call it a religious thing, but it's not church. It's, and the the abuse that it is, that occurs in there, it's, it wouldn't be allowed in juvenile hall. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: I definitely appreciate you sharing and about that experience. Is there anywhere, I'm, I'm trying to find an address, but they shut down a long time ago. Is there anywhere I could find pictures of the property if I wanted to insert any of those or share any of those?
1: That's that a good you're question.
0: Aware of? I don't know. Okay. I can keep looking around, but I,
2: I don't know. I'll try to look it up on Zillow or something. You know how I can play around with the map and zoom in. Yeah, I just don't, don't know where on
0: the map to look, but yeah, it's, it just blows me away. Cause there's now, there's so many different homes that I've done episodes on and right. they all are to like, to the T exactly the same right. story.
2: I think they have the same spinoff because Mike Palmer had something to do with Lester Roloff.
0: I was getting, where Oh, he, I wanted to ask that earlier. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's where he got his background. He was yeah. one of his disciples. So yeah. I think they all spun off from Lester Roloff in some yeah. way.
0: Is is he still operating any homes now or.
2: Is, I don't know. His wife died. Okay. I know that. So I don't know. I know he was in like Iowa or something trying to look at a home a few years ago. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I I know his name is still on some of the properties that have homes but I don't know
0: how much he's involved. Okay. Um, Just wrapping up here. I'm curious, what, can you give any kind of update? I know some people have been following and are familiar with the Faith Baptist Will DeMar thing. I know you can't share a ton, but can you just maybe give our listeners just an update regarding one, maybe just letting people know that there is a a lawsuit right now. And if there's any details or updates or idea of how things are progressing um, as far as that goes
2: so there are four lawsuits against faith baptist church wildemar one of them is mine we attempted to have mediation that was unsuccessful so we are scheduled to go to trial in november
1: Mm. okay now
2: i don't know if that will happen because of covid a lot of things got pushed back but as far as the civil case that is supposed to be in november the, the trial
0: got it okay Perfect. Yeah. We'll keep, uh, keep paying attention and following that. I know I've been wondering and waiting to see what happens and it's similar to the home. Like I look at all the stories out of just the church and it's like, how is this still operating? (laughs) And if it was a school or if it was something else that would have been shut its doors a long time ago but
2: I feel like as these things wind down I have learned a lot about the justice system in the last two years <laughs> more than I wanted to know it they call it justice I'm not sure it's for the victims it seems
0: you've been in the system for two years
2: <laughs> right so it's yeah no. it's not the way they do justice is not just <laughs> no. it's definitely not in the victim's favor but I think as the civil suit concludes at some point, whenever that ever happens, that will shed light on a lot of things that people may or may not know about. I think that will have an effect on that church. As for the criminal case against Paul Fox, we're nearing the end of that. His, his defense attorney has asked the DA for a plea agreement, okay. but he did that back in March, in April. So at his, one of the court dates in April, we were having them every month until April is when they asked for that. And so then you can have three felony settlement conferences, which are just the precursor to a trial and August 12th will be his third one. So he has to fairly soon take a plea deal or go to trial. So hopefully as that winds down, I think that will perpetuate the civil trial (laughs) winding down because that's another conviction of a staff member um, from there. So they're all tied together. Hopefully they'll all be winding down here in this year. One
0: moves forward, everything moves forward. One slows down, they all slow down. Yeah. Again, I really appreciate you sharing. I know there's probably a lot more you want to share that you can't right now. And lots of information that's coming out. It seemed like for a while it was coming out, like, daily and weekly. I'm definitely interested to see what happens. And I'm just thankful for you taking time to share your story and give us a quick update regarding the current situation. But Yeah. I I really appreciate it. If anybody wants to find out more information about that, like I'll definitely be posting that on the preacher boys site and on the the Facebook page. And I know you post quite a bit on social media as well, updating people. So uh, we'll keep everybody listening posted as that moves forward.
2: All right. Thanks Eric for having me. I think you're doing an awesome job getting this stuff out there. People need to be aware.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thank you so much for, for coming on.